Flute organist Mike LaDon started playing piano at the age of five, and by ten he was gigging and teaching piano at his father's music store. Most great musicians show their talent and passion early, but only a lucky few have a childhood surrounded with the kind of reinforcement and joy that Mike experienced with a jazz musician father and a warm, supportive family. Mike's mother even made hip band uniforms for Mike's first group. Mike LaDon has the attitude of the early greats who influenced him, and his playing reflects his deep respect for the history of jazz and his experiences working with everyone from Benny Goodman to Milt Jackson to Sonny Rollins and beyond. Today is the first half of my conversation with Mike LaDon, recorded in New York City this month. I'm Judy Carmichael. And this is Jazz Inspired. We started by talking about Mike's studies with one of the most interesting characters in jazz, the great Jackie Bayard. I went to New England Conservatory. At the time, believe it or not, there weren't any jazz studies programs except at Berkeley. No, I remember. It was really, there was nothing happening. Nothing. So this is 1974. So... I went to New England Conservatory, and I got in as a classical pianist, even though I only took classical for a couple of years at Manhattan School of Music Prep. And uh, I learned enough to memorize my pieces, and I got into New England Conservatory. But once I got there, I was sort of uh, shell-shocked because I didn't want to play classical music, and I wasn't into classical music at all. Oh, how I was like just uh, like, you know, an Italian kid from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I was... <laughs> I was like, you know, playing <laughs> funk and jazz and wearing glitter shirts. And really? I did, uh, oh, I was a greasy little kid from, you know. Glitter took, shirts? Glitter shirts. Oh, and, I want a picture of this oh. for the website. <laughs> uh, come on, Mike. I was, I was John Travolta all the way. Oh, this is, I can kind of see I was see going it. to the dance clubs and, you know, wearing platform shoes and all of that. So, in fact, my, my classical teacher at the Manhattan School of Music, because I used to come to New York. We lived in Bridgeport, so I used to come to New York every Saturday for the prep thing. And then I'd go shopping at Jumpin' Jack Flash. <laughs> and, <laughs> Things come out on this show, I'm telling yeah. you. Who would know? Oh, man, well, my, my sister knows. And, uh, and so I'd buy, like, my latest platform shoes, you know, and, and the lunch break. And I'd come back wearing them. And I'm trying to play, uh, you know, Chopin or, or Bach. And I have these big four-inch platform shoes with six-inch heels on. And my teacher was like, what are you doing with those shoes on? And I'm like, well, I like them. You know, I said, take those shoes off. And take me. He said, get different shoes for your lesson. So this is, this is who I was. And, uh, but I learned my pieces, and I went and auditioned. I got in. And about two weeks in, I'm, I'm getting really depressed because all I'm doing is, like, taking classical lessons. And I'm with all these nerdy kids that came from Vermont, New Hampshire, with their flannel shirts buttoned up to the top. And I'm like... <laughs> This is a weird environment. I don't like it at all. And then I see all these black guys sitting at a table in the lunchroom. And I go over and I'm like, hey, hi, who are you guys? You know? And they said, well, we're in the African-American music department. And I said, what's that? You mean jazz? He goes, yeah, we, they just went through this whole thing. They got it named the African-American music department. And I said, well, I want to get in. Can I get in? They said, yeah, you Go audition for uh, Jackie Byard. 
And were you playing jazz? Had you oh, been yeah, listening I've been to playing jazz. Oh, so yeah. you'd been listening to a lot I'd of jazz. I'd been listening yeah, to, and I could okay. play like all blues. And okay. I had, I'd been studying with John Mahegan. You know oh, okay, I do. Okay, yeah, so you Westport. already knew what you were doing. I right. knew somewhat. I wouldn't yeah, say I knew what yeah. I was doing, but I could, I could do it. Yeah. And my friends and I were into it and stuff when I was in high school. So, and my father was a jazz musician, and so I'd been listening to it all my life. Anyway, get to Jackie Byard. He meets me in a room, and he is just bubbling over with good feeling, yeah. you know, and he's just so welcoming. And I sat down and I played my little all blues and my so what, whatever I knew. And, uh, and he said, you're in, that's it. And you know what? You're going to be the next Herbie Hancock. <laughs> oh my, did he really? <laughs> that's the first thing. And I'm like, I love this guy. I just loved it. Cause everything else up so there was. So empowering. Yeah. He was so, everything was so stiff until that moment. Wow. And then it was like the sun came out. Jackie Byard, a favorite of my guest, pianist, organist Mike Ladon, with Ron Carter on bass and Roy Haynes on drums. Thank you. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Michael Don studied with Jackie Byard and considers him a major influence and inspiration. I'm following him around like a puppy dog. I'm just like, I love you. I love you. Please <laughs> be my friend. And I look forward to my lessons so much every week. And he taught me so much stuff. I mean, and with love, always in humor. And uh, He seemed that way. Just and he had like the first 15 lessons where like he had sheets and he would run you through these uh, exercises that he came up with. But basically it was two pianos in a room, him playing all this incredible stuff and me sitting there with my jaw open and saying, no, wait, stop. What was that? And show me that and show me that. And that's how we had our lessons for four years. And I learned so much from this guy from he like we were saying he he wanted to be Fats Waller. Basically, mm. he wanted to be the happy center of attention guy that brought joy to everyone. And, uh, but he also played, of course, you know, with Charles Mingus, so he could play totally out. And then he could play like Errol Garner. He had his own language that was coming out of Bud Powell, but it wasn't Bud Powell. Right. And, and then he had all of this other boogie woogie and blues. And I mean, he could do anything and he'd sit down and do them at the lesson, always laughing. Like it was a joke, you know, like, look at this. And he'd laugh it off and he'd be playing some incredible and he could play like Hank Jones and he could play like, you know, like he had that touch like Hank Jones, this beautiful sound, warm out of the piano. And um, and he knew the history so well, mm. you know, and, he, and the funny thing is he played avant-garde stuff with Mingus, but he didn't really like avant-garde stuff that much to listen to. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But his, his take on avant-garde was really just like a next step of Duke Ellington, you know, like yeah. he just kind of took Duke and, and, and broadened it a little with his own crazy, wacky, and Earl Hines, who mm. he loved. Well, Earl yeah. Hines was out to yeah. me. When you think he about was. Hines, you know, he's going along, you're thinking, oh, yeah, it's a nice little stride thing. And then he goes no. outer space. He's out, but in the best sense of the word. You know, like, exactly. He actually makes music out of being really, really free. Exactly. He's got no boundaries at all. And that's how Jackie was. He had no boundaries. He didn't care that people uh, put him down for being sort of a chameleon. Mm. He didn't care at all. He was just mm. like, that's what I love. I love all of it. And he could do it all. Yeah. You know, and I remember he used to play Take 5, Boogie Woogie in 5-4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is doing it all. That's incredible. <laughs> incredible. That says it all right there. It does. Yeah. So he was, and I loved him to death. And he became like my parent up there, you know, in Boston, because it was a cold, dark time in my life. And, uh, and then when I moved to New York, he was here too, and so he let me teach for him at um, Hart, and he let me teach for him at the new school. He got involved with me right away and kept me going and got me going, you know. So he was forever my uh, like a family member, mm. and then he then he you know he got murdered. No, I know, yeah. I know such a sad, sad. That thing. was a terrible, a terrible. Day. I went to his funeral. I went and saw them bury him and everything. I mean, he meant a lot to me. So. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, those days when I first met him, they were so. I mean, he saved me up there. I don't think I'd have made it. In fact, I wouldn't have. He's the only reason I stayed there, because I didn't like doing the conservatory. It was stiff, it was uh, elitist, and the uh, classical people there were almost like the Trumps of their time. Mm. You know, they were like, "Oh, you jazz musicians!" I remember I had a uh, uh, you had to pay two hundred dollars a year to get a practice room priority on your student ID, so that you could go to the third floor of the school. And you always had a practice room for piano. If there was a cellist in there or a violin, you could tell him to leave. And so I had my, this is what you did. And then the fourth year I was there, they changed the rule. And I'm in there and I showed my practice room priority to the cellist. And she said, no, you no longer, you're in the jazz department, right? 
you don't have practice room priority. And I said, that's got to be a mistake. I paid the money. Nope. Go see uh, Rosenbaum was his name. So I went and saw him and he said, she's right. Get your money back because you no longer have practice room priority. I said, why? Because what he didn't know was I was splitting my time between Jackie Byard and the classical. I stayed in both departments for the whole time. And most of the stuff I practiced was my classical stuff. So I said, you know, I'm practicing classical. It doesn't matter. You're in the jazz department. You don't have prior. That's where they were at. So that made me hate their guts. Basically. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I held that against them, and I still do. And I think, like, thumbs down. Sorry. Well, and it's it's wrong on so many levels. I just, as you're saying it, it I'm also thinking, though, that one teacher, that one moment I mean, right. it's it's so important. Yes, your father was a jazz musician. There's other things. You have enormous talent and drive and all of that. But but the fact that you say with certainty that he saved you, that you wouldn't have There's kept no – I mean, doubt. think about it. Because no I, I can think of moments like that when somebody handed me that tape of Count Basie. You know, right. the things that oh, make yeah. you go, yeah. Life-changing that's it. moments. Yeah. And, well, and it really speaks to how important teachers, great teachers are. Yeah. Because that's and another people. thing that doesn't seem like, and great people. You know, because he was just, as a person, you know, I grew up with a, in a pretty warm Italian family, mm. you know, and pretty protective. Mm. But it was happy, and there was always warmth in the house. And, uh, and so when I went up there to Boston, it seemed cold mm. and isolated. That's mm-hmm. how I felt. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I met Jackie, it was like going home. You know, mm. it was like, oh, I'm, this is a person who's like, it could be a member of my family. You know? mm. And so that's where I was. So when I was around him, all was good. And, uh, and he helped. Like I say, he had this beautiful, uh, supportive way of speaking to you, too. Mm. It was always like, you know, oh, that's great. You know, and you're, you know, you remind me of, and he'd name some great pianist. Oh. And it just make you feel like, wow, I might actually be able to do this.
guest pianist Mike Ladon. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Something else that is significant to me that you're saying is how he taught you, because the people, I haven't had a lot of great lessons, and I didn't have a great piano teacher or music mm-hmm. school, any of that, but how I learned, there were a handful of people along the way that would say, I'd say, well, just play this. I'm trying to figure out this. Let me hear how you play it. Dave mm-hmm. Frischberg, I had, mm-hmm. I had an afternoon with Dave, uh-huh. and I said, wait, how did you do that? How did you, that's a yeah. wonderful way to learn, it because is. you're not only... Um, it is. It isn't written down. You're seeing what they're doing. You're seeing how their right. hands are. You're seeing their yeah. uh, their feel. I remember you and I off mic, we were talking about crying and getting emotional about different <laughs> things. And I remember with Dave and all, all my guys I was hanging with, I worked at Disneyland, they were all like, why do you get to meet Dave Frischberg? You know, because I was really <laughs> young. Why'd Judy get to meet him? Yeah. And um, so I did. But I remember that I played my little thing. I was just starting to improvise and he goes well don't play a set piece show me something you know don't play one of those fat things and so i did my little improvisations and he goes that's great this is what i would do and Mm -hmm. he took my ideas and went to the next level with it and i did i teared up (laughs) because it was so beautiful and it was so great because it was one of these moments he looked at me he goes that's really beautiful i cry for things like that too oh that's nice so he could have made me feel like an idiot yeah. You're not like, what yeah. are you crying? No, but he knows. He knows. He knows from you. He's been on your side, so he knows, you know. Exactly. You know, people who have felt that same thing. There's And plus, you know, I find I find that pianists, I am sorry, they have integrity. I, of, the, of the musical uh, personalities, you know, <laughs> if you got to go through each instrument, um, and not organist, by the way. I mean, oh, or, isn't that organ, interesting? Organ is kind of a more uh, separate club of each gut person. It's a little bit more competitive. Although, you know, I have to say, I love Dr. Lonnie Smith. He has been also one of those Jackie Byer type people in my life. But, um, but, and I'm not talking about older organists. Well, maybe I am actually kind of. Um, but yeah, it's not the same as the oh, pianist. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah the I... pianist more of a community. Yeah, and a brotherhood. Kind of, you know, there's always a couple of egomaniacs. That yeah, but no, but now that you're saying it, because <clears throat> that you're making that clear to me, because I'm thinking I have, there'll be people that I won't even know that they know what I do. And, mm-hmm. and there's immediate, you know, like Mulgrew Miller. I remember meeting yeah. him and he said, hey, Talk and he about like, sweet put guy. his left hand out. He did a stride thing, like, you're the stride, <laughs> you're the stride girl. And yeah. it's like, yeah, baby. <laughs> and, you know, so there was yeah. that that feeling oh, yeah. of that. Oh, without a doubt. And, it, and I still feel it even with younger pianists now, you know, just that same, I don't know what it is. Well, they say playing piano makes you smarter, but we'll leave that aside. I know. We don't, we don't, want, we don't want to brag. <laughs> Thank you. 
My guest pianist Mike Ledon on Lined with a Groove from his CD, Partners in Time. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Talk about Jimmy Smith. Well, my uh, my sister had one of his records when I was she's eight years old. Oh, wow. And I just listened to it, and it was called uh, Live at the Village Gate. I liked the picture on the record. It was cool. It had... Uh, him on the stage with a red light on him with the B3. And I was already into the B3 when I was even younger than that. Really? Yeah, because I heard it on, um, like, I was into R&B uh, music. Right. And I heard it on those records. And then once I heard that sound, mm. I wanted to uh, I wanted to be able to make the sound. And my father owned a music store. So he had a Farfisa organ at his store and a Leslie. So that was the first thing when I was about probably around seven or eight years old, I used to go in this and, and hook that up and look for the sounds that sounded like the B3 I heard on, you know, uh, Booker T and the MGs records or something like that. And I was listening to that kind of stuff. And were you taking piano lessons then? Yeah, I was already playing piano, but but this was like for me, you know? Mm. Oh, and so um, so the the, uh, the Farfisa did allow me to um, learn, because I was also really into James Brown. He was my hero I mean, I used to dress like him. I was just going to say, I was going to bring up that clothing. Yeah, the clothing, totally. Okay. I had, you had purple, the whole thing going. purple pants and the pointy shoes and the Italian knits. And I had a whole wardrobe like James Brown. And, um, and so I used to play the James Brown horn lines in my right hand on the organ and then play the, the bass lines. In the, they had a little bass, reverse color bass keys. So the white keys were black. The black keys were white. And you could play bass down there. And then I got a little group together, like with my cousins. And uh, I taught them the drum parts and the, the you know, and, and we had a, a guitar. So it, was, it was an organ trio. It was me with bass and, and the horn lines. And then my uh, one cousin was on uh, bass, on guitar. And we actually had a bass player. And I sang. I didn't know you sang. No, I don't. Oh, all right. I was going to say, I, have I like missed I, that all I, these years? I screamed more like, but... <laughs> Anyway, well, we put this little the- band together and we called it Soul People. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we had a my I, I made a thing for the drumhead because I that was back in the days when you know the Beatles and the Monkeys and they yeah. had, they had the bass drumhead always had something right. It always so had. We made a thing for the bass drumhead and my mother made us shirts that matched out of satin. Yeah, and we went out and did gigs at ten. So that was my first experience playing, and we used to drag around the Farfisa with the Leslie. You know, it's been like junior high school dances, high school dances. And I learned a whole repertoire, you know. And I remember, I, but it is something, you know, for a little kid to play bass line, horn line, and sing. That's oh, three yeah. things. So I had to do it. And I, I finally got the coordination and I could remember the lyrics and I could get funky kind of, you know. And it was must have been very cute. Anyway, I did that for a number of years where we rehearsed at my dad's store. So the organ was already a major part of my professional life. Yeah. And, and we, we uh, rehearsed in the basement and we would open the windows in the summer and all the kids from the neighborhood would come and dance outside the window while we played. So this, and that's what I loved yeah. the most. I loved making people, seeing people dance and then playing a groove. So that never left me. It was like, that was what hooked me.
Mike LaDawn on organ on I Love Every Little Thing About You. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to podcasts of Jazz Inspired on Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. We're funded primarily by your donations, so please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in. No gift is too small. 2020 marks our 20th year, and we need your support to make it all happen. Thank you. I'm talking with Mike LaDon about his early years playing organ and developing his style. I wasn't listening to Bird or anything yet. I was just into rhythm and and the the communication, the connection Mm. that music had with people right away. So... Uh, we went on doing that, I, and then finally at uh, 14, my dad bought me a Hammond organ. And God bless him, he would move that thing to jam sessions for me if he had to, like just in the van, because he had a van for the music store. And he, I don't know how he did it. He would take it out of the basement by himself <laughs> with the Leslie and go and bring it, set it all up. I'd play, and I'd call him, come on, let's go home. And he'd do it backwards, you know. Never complained, never said, God, this is ridiculous. You know, he was just, he was so happy that I was playing. And we would play together too, you know. But that was the beginning of the Hammond. And once I got the Hammond, I got really into Jimmy Smith. And I had a record player downstairs in the basement with my Hammond. And I just took the Jimmy Smith records down and started listening to the sounds he got and trying Mm. to figure out what the settings were and how he got the sounds. You know, I had no lessons. I was just figuring it out by oh, sound. Oh, really? So yeah. you were really teaching yourself? Total, totally self-taught. But it's got to be a real thing for your ears, though. Great ear training because it of is. those different sounds. Yeah, and you just, you're just experimenting, and it's so much fun. I could be down there for hours doing that stuff, you know, just wow. figuring it out. And, uh, and then, you know, as time went on, um, I learned, I figured it out. I figured it out. But I wasn't playing jazz yet. That was way, way ahead of me. 
But I was able to play in funk bands. Mm -hmm. I was in sort of like a Tower of Power kind of funk band by the time I was, you know, 14. Tower of Power. Me too. I love them still today. But um, anyway, we were doing that. So I came up out of that kind of rhythm and blues funk thing. But the the jazz was always there because my dad was stone jazz musician oh he was and, and so he, was he playing you a lot of jazz all the time oh okay. in the house we had all the rec his records you and know. what what were what was he into well he was into oscar moore that was his oh. thing. the nat cole trio he could sing like nat cole he had won the major bows amateur hour when he was 17 you know which was like the uh america's what? got talent yeah i know of the day and uh they put him on the road and he was making records and he was doing he was handsome too he looked, wow. looked so, kind of like elvis presley or something you know he just had this real handsome Italian guy wow. thing. So so he was out with, but he didn't have piano. He had a four mallet vibes player mm. who played chords. He had bass and, and he played guitar and he played like Oscar Moore and he was totally self-taught too. He was completely natural talent. And they were grooming him to become sort of, you know, make a hit of a hit. But my mother didn't go for it. Once he met my mother, she, she put a stop to it. So he always had a, a gig in town, a local gig five nights a week. And we'd be at the store all day. That was my, that's where I was raised in the music store every day after school, music store. And I'd be playing every instrument and just hanging out, you know, with him. And all the musicians came to the music store from the, from the area because he'd be in there playing guitar and smoking cigs. And he'd have a, uh, a refrigerator in the back with a case of beer Aww. for everybody. And it was a hang in the store. It sounds like a great <laughs> hang. It was a great hang. And you know what? I taught lessons there <laughs> when I was 10. Yeah, I was. You teaching. were giving lessons. I was giving piano lessons. I could give like beginner, you know, yeah. John Shawn book, yeah. uh, book one lessons yeah. to some beginner. John Thompson books. John Thompson, that's the one I'm thinking. We of, all right? had them. The red that's books. That's the one. The red yeah. books. So, um, and I would have students who were like 30, and they'd walk in, <laughs> and they'd see me, and it'd be like a grown man. They see <laughs> yeah, me like, who are midget, you? Right. I say, I give you a lesson. And uh, and then I would cheat them out of their time because if they didn't practice I, in ten minutes, I'd be like, "Okay, you're done," you know. And my father said, "You can't do that, Mike." So it didn't last too long my teaching career at, uh, at the store. But I got to meet all these cool guys because they were all teaching there. So they had like they were in their twenties and they had long hair and they were rock guitar players. And I was hanging out with them in the breaks. That's how I got in this Tower of Power kind of group because they were teaching at my dad's store and they owned a house in Bridgeport and it was really like. What you think? Read about you know, like they all lived in this house, and in the basement, they had a B three and a Fender Rhodes, and all this all this gear, and you could go there every day and just jam and play like, and they were really good too. So that's where I got musicians' delight. It was was heaven on earth, really. It really was, and I was so excited about all of it because all that music. I came out of James Brown. And so all of the funk groups of the 70s, like Earth, Wind & Fire and Sly and the Family I Stone. I loved all that. They were, they were just coming out with all that stuff. It was all mm. new.
was all I wanted to do was do that stuff. And that's what I did. You know, so that's what I'm saying. When I went to New England Conservatory, that's where I was coming out of. No, that's what I'm thinking about. Of course, yeah. you went over to the, the black guys sitting there and saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was the weird thing, too, because it was very segregated in, in Boston. You know, and obviously, I mean, you see all the black people sitting together at the one table. And they were, first of all, a very big, a real minority in the school. And then why are they all at the same, at one table? Where is there, because in New York, it wasn't like that. There was much more, it was much more integrated. I mean, where I grew up, where my dad's store, everybody hang, hung out together. Oh, so that was integrated. <clears throat> Without That's, a doubt. Oh, interesting. Um, Ed Cherry, remember, you know Ed Cherry, the guitar player? Mm. He's from New Haven. He remembers going to my dad's store. And the Buster Brothers, uh, the uh, one of them was played organ, mm. Eddie Buster. Mm-hmm. He was like the local organ. He played with Gene Ammons, this guy. Wow. And he was big time. He used to come to my dad's store. And he, my dad took me to see them when I was a kid because they used to play in Bridgeport. Interesting. I, yeah. So, you know, I wasn't used to this. I mean, I knew that there was racism and I knew that there was all of this whatever. Yeah. weirdness Because I grew up, we both grew up in that era of right. civil rights. Right. Exactly. You know, so when I was in... In school, in uh, grade school, in element, when, in Catholic school, where I went, mm. um, that's when all the race riots were going on. Mm. I remember like the black kids coming back from school all beat up, like they, <sighs> you know, bloody and stuff. And um, so, yeah, I have. I grew up in that atmosphere, but not, I, but I, I thought that we had made some strides well, until I, mean, I went to yeah. Boston. <laughs> well, and, then, and I think that that it's so much. I mean, I grew up in California, so there were all the Mexicans that were around. Right. But but we didn't we didn't really think about it. You know, right. where the particular area I was, it was all integrated. Right. You know, and and my Mexican friends, we all had the same accent. Our parents were all about the same socioeconomic. It was right. That's what it was, and so it was a shock to me when all these other things said, "It's your little world where you yeah. grow up." So I can imagine the New England. Did not. That had to be radically. It was just radically, a shock. and it stayed that way too. It didn't get any better. You know, it just stayed stiff and really uh, New Englandy. You know, just back stuck back in another time warp. So I couldn't wait to get out of there, and uh, that's where I met um, Hashem, Michael Hashem, the and New Tad, England Conservatory. I, they were, he was at Berkeley. Oh right, I'd forgotten. And he went Johnny to Ellis right. and the guys that did widespread, right? Uh, widespread depression was a uh, you know you know who they were. Yes, of course. Ten piece like. First of their kind swing band, and that, that was uh, big. You guys got really. I it mean, that was really, big. really got big in the eighties. But I met them when they were just a bunch of like you know young, super young guys just getting out of college, mm. and uh, most of the guys were from Vermont and New Hampshire. And Hashem was my buddy from from school days, even though we didn't go to the same school. And he asked me if I wanted to join these guys. Now I didn't know anything really about swing music, but I wanted to move to New York. Yeah, and they were on salary. I know that was, and to, to give people a little bit of an idea about it, it was one of the things I was looking forward to because I was, I think about all the things you're doing now and all your records and yeah. and all that. And then I think, that's right. We met back in those days when I first came, when you were right. doing that and you were with that's Benny right. Goodman as well. That's and right. I don't think people yeah. associate you with those swing things as no. much as they associate you with this, this you know, badass organ player, bop, <laughs> piano player. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. It's, a, it's a different thing. No, it's different a whole thing. different thing. And, and yeah. um, the reason I like to bring it up, too, is 
because I know how much that's influenced your music because you oh, have yeah. those roots because oh, yeah. I know that you're a fellow Hank Jones lover and Tommy Flanagan, right. all of that. So talk about a little bit of that scene then because people won't know that because it was actually well, really popular. The, yeah. the thought of a big band yeah. being on salary, that is something- Of young I, guys. Of young guys. That, you know, so this was <clears> what <throat> years? This was, because this is- 74, I, uh, 78. Yeah. When I moved to New York. And doing the college circuit and all of that. Yeah. And so you went and you yep. became their piano player, but yep. didn't know much about swing music. Not really. Um, you know, they liked my playing, but I, so I dug in and, and they really, they really schooled me in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was into Ellington and stuff, but not really, you know, really deeply into Teddy Wilson or uh, Earl Hines and Fats Waller and James B. Johnson and all of that stuff. So uh, they really, you know, being in that band, first of all, you have to solo in those tunes. You can't be up there playing like Bud Powell. No. Which was what I was into in college. Right. You know, Bud Powell and Monk was all I was into, really. So I, I come into this thing and I just get do the same thing I did all my life, which was get into the records and start to learn the language, mm-hmm. which is something I really enjoy to this day, is learning languages. This was how I see it, you know, mm-hmm. and then pulling my personality up. That's what Jackie did, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you pull your personality, you find your little niche, and how can I, you know, that's what you do. Widespread Depression Orchestra with my guest, Mike LaDawn, on piano. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I got into, really into Earl Hines and Teddy Wilson and all of the swing piano players and listening to all those bands and Louis Jordan and all the fun stuff. I love Louis Jordan. I got a gal who's always late. Anytime we have a date, but I love her. Yes, I love her. I'm gonna walk right up to her gate and see if I can get it straight, cause I want her. I'm gonna ask her, is you? Is you ain't my baby 
Here's my flame in your heart's done gone out A woman is a creature That has always been strange Just when you're sure of one You find she's gone and made a change And so I'm listening to this stuff and I'm realizing that I love it. You know, it's not just something I'm doing to, to keep myself working, but so I go deep into it, you know. And of course, we had an apartment when I first moved here. Um, I lived on 110th Street with John Ellis, who was the drummer and one of the arrangers in the band, and, and Tad Show, who was um, the tenor player. You and, were at 5'10". Yeah. 5'10". I right. was at 504. Did you know that? No. I really? live next door. You're kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that funny? It's West only, 110. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Between Broadway and Amsterdam. I guess that's where people moved. Well, well it, it was, was only incredible. funny because, um, and when to fill our audience in on this, my cash, and we're talking about our mutual yeah. friend, saxophonist. When I first moved to New York, that was my first place, and everybody said, you know, you've got to meet Mike Hashem. He does this kind of this direction, too. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, people told him the same thing. Yeah. And then I was at a coffee shop on Amsterdam and 110th having coffee with Howard Alden, guitar player. Yeah. And he said, hey, have you ever met Mike Hashem? I said, no, everybody keeps telling me I should. He said, he's just walked through the door. So he comes <laughs> over, he goes... Mike Hashem, Judy Carmichael. I said, what are you doing in this neighborhood? He said, I live there right at 510. I said, I live at 504. So we lived next door to right. each other all this time right. and had never met. That's insane. So I live next door to you. That's amazing. Well, that <laughs> so apartment anyway, was crazy. Yes. Yeah, so, well, but you Hashem were living lived with there, all those guys. Hashem and Tad and John and I lived there. It was a big apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that apartment. Um, and we used to jam. Oh, it was so much fun. You could get up right away, listen to records, and then jam, play, and then eat lunch, and then play. And and widespread had so much work, yeah, that we would just get our itinerary from the leader of the band, who was, was Johnny Holtzman at the time. He was a singer and a vibes player, and we would just get in the bus every day and go where they told us to go and play the gig, you know, and then act crazy and come home and do the same thing every day. And it was it was total saturation in not only being a musician, but also in that music and in entertaining people, not only just playing jazz for people, but entertaining people, you know, and making them dance or making them want to jump out of their seat and do something. Which you, know? you were coming right back to where you were. Right, that you which said is what I liked when you were in the kid. first place. Yeah. And we used to hang out. We used to do these double concerts with Room Full of Blues, who was like sort of like the widespread of blues bands. Right. And uh, that's where we met Scott Hamilton he and had Duke, a, right? Duke and Duke Robillard. Yeah. yeah that's so why I was meeting this whole other um, bunch of people that were from around Providence, Rhode Island, that, mm -hmm. that played uh, authentically and just loved it, that music. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was cool. Mm -hmm. It was cool. It was way off, the, way off the grid as far as what I, you know, what you would think a jazz musician of that time would be working towards playing with Art Blakey or something. But I didn't have those, uh, those, those connections. And this isn't where my path led me my path led me to widespread 
And then we would go to Jimmy Ryan's and sit in with Roy Eldridge and uh, meet people there like Eddie Locke, people who would be really central to my life, like forever, huge, huge uh, people in my life. And, uh, and I worked at Jimmy Ryan's as the house pianist for three years, every five, five nights a week, six sets a night at Jimmy Ryan's. And uh, that was uh, old school, old school New York. And and Jimmy Ryan's, you know, was the first jazz club in New York ever on 52nd Street. I didn't know know that. that. Yeah, it was the first club. And then it moved to 54th Street after 52nd Street died. Where was it when it was right next door to Eddie Condon's? That's when I went there. Was that? That wasn't the original location. Okay, I didn't know. The original location was on 52nd. Okay. Yeah, and then you had those two clubs. So you had Condon's and Ryan's, and that was our scene. You know, right. we, we would all go hang and out there, there as much as possible and try and sit in and, and get to know everybody. And then you'd go to Bradley's and you'd see Hank Tommy. Jones and Tommy and Cedar and everybody down there. And I mean, it was a magical time to be in New York City. You know, it's, I feel bad for young folks today that they don't get to see that kind of mastery on a regular basis. Right, which we did. But I did get to see, and you yeah. did too. Yeah, because yeah, um, that's when I came, and I didn't realize that that wasn't the normal thing. You know, I right. came, and I just happened to hit it at the right time. And you also had the other guys, like Dick Wellstood, yeah. and uh, Dick Hyman, and uh, Ralph Sutton, and Jay McShann, and they would be coming to town and playing their thing authentically. Yeah. And so it was just, none of us ever thought we were even close to that. You know, we were just, you know, keep your mouth shut, wear a suit and tie, you know. And absorb it. Look humble and act humble. And that's that's what, and absorb it, exactly. And then, you know, got to meet Jimmy Rolls, and he became a big central figure in a lot of our lives and gave us the opportunity. He'd always have us sit in at Bradley's. That's how Bradley got to hear me play, and I started working there. Oh, so that was, that's how that happened. That's how that happened. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing to talk about a bit is the people think that everybody sits in. I've talked about this a lot, that it, that you had to be asked to sit in. It was an honor because I remember the places that I sat in. It was a big deal. And it, but you had to rise to that occasion. I talked to Duke Robillard about this because I can't remember who it was, but somebody asked him to sing with them and it was uh, downtown. I can't remember the club. And he chickened out. He didn't think he, didn't think he was worthy. No, I, did, I, could, I could totally and, understand that. And I, I know because I know Roy Eldridge told me to sit, you know, he said, yeah. what, do you, what do you do? Yeah. And I said, I play stride piano. He said, yeah, 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 play a handful of keys, you know. And so and that was his, it. and I did. I got up and did it. <laughs> and he and, loves stride. Oh, Boy. yeah. But yeah. It, was, it was one of those <clears> moments <throat> because it was really, you know, nobody Scary. wanted to hear me. Scary, I, I know. still lived in California. I just I was coming into to meet Roy Eldridge, you know. Yeah. And and he was on a break because he worked at Jimmy Ryan's, right? Yep, every So night. he was there at Eddie Condon's taking a break, just yeah. hanging. And oh, yeah. And I sat down and he said, what do you do? The reason I bring it up is Jimmy Rolls asking you to play. And for those of our listeners who don't know what Bradley's was, Bradley, there were these iconic rooms yeah. that – that existed at a certain time in New York where the great people played. To be asked to sit in at a place like that was a great honor, and you had to deliver. And that's yeah. the point, and it was very threatening. That's oh, yeah. what I say to... And that. it would happen at like 2 in the morning. Exactly, <laughs> and there'd be people, but but you're following Jimmy Rolls. Right. So talk about right. delivering. And you're just some little kid, you know, who's in awe of Jimmy Rolls. Exactly. And I think it was me and Hashem, actually. I think we sat in together. Really? Yeah, because Jimmy loved Hashem. I know. He's and a big uh, they were really good him. friends. Yeah. And, and we Jimmy and I became together. good friends. But I think he and Hashem 
were friends first. And, uh, and then when Jimmy would see me, he would have me sit in by myself too. And we became close friends. And um, then Bradley started hiring me to play brunches oh. on Saturdays. I played by myself, Saturday and Sunday brunch. And that's how I got to be friendly with Wendy, his wife, because she would bring her kid in and have a hamburger and listen to me play. And, uh, and it was just nice, you know. And then I graduated to getting, uh, you know, a Saturday night and then eventually whole weeks at Bradley's for years. And, um, yeah, getting to play there. I mean, wow. You know, you'd be playing, doing your best because it was just duo, no drums. Right. Until the end. They had drums by the end. But basically it was duo. And as a young man... Playing duo was really challenging for me. I, I liked having the drums to sort of fill in all the empty gaps, mm. you know. So, but I'd be in there playing my little duo stuff, and then you'd look over, and Ray Bryant would be sitting right next to you, and then Tommy Flanagan would be in there, and Freddie Hubbard, and Stanley Turrentine, and uh, Max Roach, and they'd they'd all be in there, you know. And it's and you're and you're just trying not to look, and just keep your head down and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt most of the time. first half of my conversation with Mike LaDawn. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidoff. You can download free podcasts of Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired from all the usual podcast platforms or listen at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats, and other stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Glory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway and Sons. We're funded primarily by your donations, so please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in and keep us on air. Any amount is appreciated. And 2020 marks our 20th year on air, and we need your support to make it all happen. Thank you. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is also sponsored in part by Page at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. 
visit page at 63maine at opentable.com. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com. <laughs>